0: which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna HealthCare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Monday, the 3rd of April in London. Coming up today
2: Crude measures. OPEC makes a shock production cut of one million barrels a day.
1: UBS swings the axe. Reports say the Swiss lender is to cut up to 30% of its workforce after absorbing
3: Credit Suisse.
2: The coming storm. Donald Trump to face criminal charges in a Manhattan court.
3: Banking crisis lessons, the BOE cybercrime warning and grappling a deal for pro wrestling. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers and I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus less bang for your mega buck.
1: London's wealthiest are getting frustrated with high property prices.
2: That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe on DAB Digital Radio London, Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Cirrus XM Channel 119 and around the world on Bloomberg Radio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll
1: and I'm Caroline Hepker. Here are the stories that we're following today.
2: OPEC Plus has announced a production cut of 1.1 million barrels per day. Oil futures have jumped on the surprise move, as all 14 analysts polled last week by Bloomberg had predicted no change. Vivek Dar, CBI Director of Mining and Energy Commodities Research, says the recent financial turmoil was a factor.
4: I think they were really
1: quite concerned when oil prices fell following the banking crisis. Because seeing prices at 73, I think that was really where they started to think, what can we do about this? And I think it was really led by the, the biggest OPEC Plus members. And I think Saudi Arabia really was the one pivotal in terms of deciding this. Because we had reports as late as, as last Friday, where they weren't expecting any changes to OPEC Plus guidance amongst the OPEC, OPEC Plus members.
2: As Vivek points out, Saudi Arabia led the oil cartel's move by pledging a 500,000 barrel a day reduction in supply. The White House says the OPEC Plus decision was ill-advised.
1: Now, UBS will reportedly cut 20 to 30 percent of its staff after completing its takeover of Credit Suisse. A Swiss newspaper says the move could affect 11,000 workers in Switzerland and another 25,000 more worldwide. In a separate development, Swiss prosecutors say that they've opened an investigation into the deal. They want to identify possible crimes leading up to the Credit Suisse collapse.
2: Donald Trump plans to plead not guilty when he faces criminal charges in New York later. He'll be the first former US president to face such accusations when he appears in court over hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels. Trump's defence lawyer, Joe Takapina, told CNN the case is political persecution.
4: He's gearing up for a a battle. Um, You know, this is something that obviously we believe is a political persecution. And I think people on both sides of the aisle believe that that it's a complete abuse of power. Um, He's a tough guy, George, as you know, and he's someone who's going to be ready for this fight. Um, We're ready for this fight. And and I look forward to moving this thing along as quickly as possible to exonerate him. Um, We're way too early to start deciding what motions we're going to file or not file. Um, and and we do need to see the indictment and get to work. I mean, look, Tuesday's just the beginning.
2: That's Donald Trump's defence lawyer, Joe Takabina, speaking there. City authorities in New York are planning to close key streets as part of a security measure ahead of the hearing.
1: In top corporate news, Tesla's deliveries hit a record but fell short of Elon Musk's goal of 50% annual growth. The electric vehicle company delivered uh, almost 423,000 cars worldwide last quarter, beating analysts' expectations. Bloomberg's global business managing editor, Emma O'Brien,
3: has more. They've been cutting prices uh, in a lot of locations uh, to to really try and rectify what they saw in the fourth quarter quarter, which was definitely disappointing numbers. Uh, they have returned uh, to, to growth uh, in the first quarter, uh, reaching a record, as you say, though the word on the street is, is not as sort of clearly positive um, as that, uh, that number might betray.
1: So that was Emma O'Brien, Bloomberg's global uh, business managing editor. Well, Tesla doesn't break out sales by region, but the US and China are its largest markets.
2: Finland's Prime Minister Sanna Marin has lost a close parliamentary election to a pro-business opposition b- group. The official figures show that Marin's Social Democrats fell to third place behind the far-right Finns party, while the National Coalition won the most seats. Here's National Coalition leader Petteri Orpo declaring victory.
5: I think that Finnish people
3: want change. They want change and now i will start negotiations open negotiations with all parties and i have one cru- crucial issue and it is economy we have to fix our economy we have to do reforms to boost our economy and growth
2: napetario orpo is on track to become the next prime minister of finland but will have to find a coalition partner first under the previous government finland's public debt had jumped by about 40 billion euros to around 195 billion last year
1: Okay, those are a few of our top stories then for you this morning. Stephen, you're just back from a trip. How much would you spend on a hotel stay?
2: Mm, it depends where and what <laughs> level of luxury you're offering me, Caroline Hepker.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Bloomberg's M survey asked 465 terminal customers about this, and I just thought it was really interesting because apparently, $500 is it—that is where 69% of people uh, said that they would spend, you know, money or would have basically their maximum cost for one night in a hotel. Which I mean, it's still pretty. Pretty good going. I think you'd still stick that in the luxury camp. But basically, is revenge travel done? And I think those kind of luxury travellers are getting a bit fed up with higher prices.
2: Well, meanwhile, those same wealthy individuals aren't willing to let their homes in London go without the right price tag for them. As a piece in the channel this morning from our colleague Damien Shepherd looking at how wealthy London home buyers are demanding discounts on luxury properties, but they're not finding many takers.
1: No, like Savills has has said that the gap between, you know, what buyers want in a kind of tough market. I mean, yes, the UK has avoided recession, but it's still pretty gloomy, high interest rates and so on. And actually what the sellers of Prime Central London are prepared to do, it seems to be getting wider and wider. So, yeah, that's a really nice piece on the terminal this morning.
2: Well, let's turn back to the main news—that is, moving markets this morning—and that supply oil uh, surprise, rather, oil supply cut from OPEC plus 1.1 million barrels a day, starting from next month. That'll grow to 1.6 million from July uh, when Russia also takes part in this reduction in the supply. It's a new risk for the global economy. Oil futures soaring as much as eight uh, percent, WTI and Brent trading about five percent higher this hour. Uh, let's speak to our oil markets reporter, Alex Longley, for more on this story. Alex, great to have you with us. So, Saudi Arabia and Russia, big participants in this. They're both pledging to cut half a million barrels. But that even as late as Friday, we were hearing from OPEC Plus delegates that
5: there would be no change. How big a surprise is this? I, I think it's clearly wrong for a lot of people in the market, both on the analyst side and the trading side. And, and there's a few things to keep in mind here. Um, in perhaps some of the earlier days of Prince Abdulaziz's role as Saudi energy minister, one of his more famous quotes was that he wanted people who were shorting the oil market to be ouching like hell. Um, we, we've had a pretty long period of volatility in the oil market, but not that frequent periods where, well, not many frequent periods, sorry, I should say, where people have been betting against oil. And in the last few weeks, we finally started to see that come back with kind of fear of bank contagion and, and wider concerns about a global slowdown. Um, and if you look at the positions for short, sure, in the oil market, they're about the highest they were since Prince Abdulaziz first made those comments. So I think this is a reminder that he wants to, to sort of steer people away from betting against crude. And, and also, it, it's also a reminder of, of the economic conditions we find ourselves in. This is, this is Saudi Arabia and its OPEC allies protecting against the risk of lower prices from any slowdown in global growth and fortifying the market around $80 a barrel.
1: Alex, this is having a widespread impact though across asset classes. How much does this add to global inflationary pressures?
5: Potentially, hugely. I mean, much will still depend on the path for prices for the coming weeks and for the rest of the year. I mean, if we do get that big global slowdown and, and we get a really meaningful deceleration in demand, obviously some of the price impact is tempered. But I mean, if you just look at prices this morning, right, we've got headline crude prices up, uh, you know, 8% at the highs for the day. But, but U.S. gasoline futures were also up the best part of 5% this morning. So even overnight, you're seeing a huge increase in, in, re- in potentially in retail fuel prices once that filters through to, to the rack prices in, say, the U.S., for example. Um, so, clearly, there's a huge inflationary impact that could potentially come from this. But I think, in terms of the meaningful part of that and how long it will last, the, the jury is still out, and we need to see how the demand equation plays out as, as global growth sort of sets its course over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, because I mean, we've already had changes
2: to the crude oil forecast prices from some of the big names, Goldman, for example, raising their forecast to $95 for this year. The overall analyst forecast is $80 uh, for the year. WTI, of course, now already reaching that, just, uh, just under that at the moment. What sort of, you know, what are the factors we need to watch for when it comes to the trajectory
5: for prices from here? Well, I think a lot of these are also key motivations behind the decision. I mean, generally speaking, there's been a consensus view that the oil market's looking pretty bullish in the second half of the year. But I think over the last few weeks, the oil bears have started to talk a little bit more loudly about the reasons that might not be the case. The IEA has got a huge demand uptick from the first to the final quarter of this year. They've got a big drop in Russian output, which hasn't really shown any signs of happening um, or any meaningful signs of happening in the way people thought it would since since sanctions have taken effect. So I think the trajectory for demand and that's obviously inextricably linked with both China's reopening and the path of the global economy and the trajectory of russian output as sanctions kind of continue to bite over that period will, will be the key things that determine whether that um whether that inventory draw that's expected over the next few months comes to fruition and i think again these cuts really are designed to underscore that that, that bullish second half of the year isn't isn't put at risk by a a weaker global econ- global economy
1: Okay, Alex, thank you so much for being with us. Really interesting breakdown then of what the OPEC Plus Cup means uh, to the world. Our oil markets reporter, Alex Longley.
2: Coming up next, we'll be looking at banking crisis lessons, the BOE's cybercrime warning, and grappling a deal for pro wrestling.
0: The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
4: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
0: Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
5: Now, the paper review on Bluebird Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers
1: as Leanne joins us with more details the Financial Times has the story the UK needs to learn its own lessons from the banking crisis uh, this of course uh, from you know one of the leader writers at
3: the FT yes indeed Caroline. So this is from Martin Wolf. It's an opinion article. And like you said, he's the chief economics commentator for the FT. And this is what he's saying on UK financial regulation. He also says banks are the Achilles heel of the market economy. Now, he outlines eight obvious lessons the UK needs to learn from this mini crisis that we've seen in the banks in recent months. And he says that we need to learn these lessons. And the first obvious lesson he points to is, he says, the events of recent weeks have reminded us that the UK is an open financial entrepot and is vulnerable to regulatory failures elsewhere in the world. Martin Wolf also says the BOE's Andrew Bailey said it was helpful that the UK arm of SBV was a ring fence subsidiary, not a branch, allowing the UK to resolve it quickly and independently, and he calls the second obvious lesson disturbing, saying the story Credit Suisse basically shows that policymakers might actually find it hard, Caroline, to mm. impose an orderly resolution on politically sensitive institutions, even when a plan exists. And he says the pressure of deregulation is really gaining ground here in the UK. But he's saying this... Well- crisis should make deregulation less appealing. Yes, I mean he
1: was pointing to the sort of last 18 months or 2 years I think of the conservative government but I mean given given the crisis of SVB that that talk has surely got to go you know on the back burner.
3: But what he's also saying Caroline is that basically in the US in 2019 there was deregulation of smaller banks mm. which did contribute to this recent crisis and that was a real powerful example to rethink regulation when it comes to banks and deregulation. And that's so they can protect, Mm. you know, what's coming next.
2: Mm, Interesting piece there from Martin Wolf. Let's go to the Telegraph next, Leanne. It says the Bank of England demands cyber crackdown after Russia-linked attacks.
3: Yes, indeed, Stephen. So Threadneedle Street is ordering lenders to bolster defences and that's against Russian-linked hackers. Sarah Breeden, the head of financial stability at the bank, has issued this warning and that comes after, you know, we reported on Royal Mail and The Guardian and that was them falling victim to ransomware gangs and, you know, things were really disrupted during that time. In a letter to executives, Mrs. Breeden gave companies a deadline of March 2025 to get their systems and emergency response plans in shape in case anything like this happens. Now, a survey last year of 130 global financial institutions found nearly three quarters had experienced at least one ransomware attack over the past year. But the Telegraph does make a point that I think is quite important. Sarah Breeden did not specifically identify Russian links groups as a potential threat. However, researchers are warning that the deterioration of relations between Moscow and the world in many ways, has significantly increased the risks that we are seeing when it comes to ransomware gangs. Yeah,
1: although it's kind of easy to pin it all on Russia, isn't it? I mean, the ransomware gangs... we know are often not always state linked. Mm. They can be kind of independent uh, and looking for for a cash win, I suppose. And just lastly, slightly more well, is this a lighter note? The Wall Street Journal? WWE nears sale to UFC's Endeavor Group. The headline.
3: Yes, that is the headline. So Endeavor Group is the parent company of UFC and it's said to be nearing this deal to acquire WWE and this is according to the Wall Street Journal. Mm. But Blue Bloomberg did really great reporting on the story. And I just want to tell you, it's actually the fifth red story on the terminal. So if you want to have a look at it, go ahead. It's gaining loads of traction. And Bloomberg reported back in February that WWE's executive chairman was looking to get a $9 billion amount for the company. It's absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. But one thing we have to remember is this is not just sport. It's sport and entertainment and thousands and thousands of people. Are we'll you go telling to things me like-
2: wrestling isn't real? it's
3: well when I found that out I was very emotional because I felt like it was real but WrestleMania honestly attracts just thousands of fans I can't tell you how popular it is mm. so here we go guys this could be a big deal for sport and like I said according to sources the entertainment conglomerate could announce this deal as soon as today so this could be imminent and for everyone listening wrestling fans it's possible
1: Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke.
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anker. And I'm Skip Bronson.